what a spicy one we've got today. I'm alive. I'm happy to be here as I'm, I always am. Win, lose, draw, whatever the case is. I mean, you're always winning when you're listening when you are listening to us on the Over Six Sports Podcast. And as always, it's Zach the Bandit Burke. I was trying to figure out a clever Leaf nickname. Didn't do it in time. And we have Cam Caulfield Charlton. How are you doing? Oh, by the way, it's actually just the Turf King. But how are you doing today, Cam? Before you answer, I know how you're doing. You're doing great. Ole, ole, ole. I don't know what you want to start with. I hope I stole it from you, but go ahead. You 100% did. I had the ole, 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 ole <laughs> ready, and you just stole it. I mean, I'm doing great. Last week when we were talking, I was talking about what the Habs needed to do in the offseason, and you know what? They came back. 3-1. The Habs are moving on. They're playing the Jets tonight. Let's go. Let's go indeed. Actually not. I figured you were going to leave with the ole, ole. I, you know what? You stole the series, so I figured I'd steal your thunder a little bit. I feel like it's only fair. Um, I mean, I I, I don't really like. So we like for everybody listening. I mean, like weekly we do kind of headlines, and um, <clears throat> you know we kind of go over the stories from last week, um, and then we kind of get into our more of our NHL stuff. But uh, uh, we're kind of flying off the cuff today because, frankly, I. I mean, there's really only one thing that I want to talk about. And, um, I mean, we will obviously get into a little bit of other stuff. I don't know how long we can possibly talk about the Leafs for, but it could be a significant amount of time, but I guess we'll see. So, um, we're going to start there. Cam, do you want to gloat first or, or how do you want to do this? Cause I mean, you kind of get, you, you have the honors as the winning side, uh, to decide where we go uh, at this point. I mean, I'll just start it off. I mean, I'd love to sit here, gloat. Rub it in. You stole my ole, ole, ole. So that's already done with. I'll just start it off with, I never thought in my lifetime I'd feel bad for Leafs fans. But I honestly kind of do. For the first time ever, I'm hearing Leafs fans. They're not sad. They're not mad. There's just no feelings at all. They weren't excited for Game 7. I was super excited for Game 7. That can't be fun to be a fan. And that's... It's just ruins it a little bit. I'd love to be gloating to everybody. And they're like, yeah, I just don't even feel feelings. You can't rub it in my face. Cause I literally just don't even care almost at this point, talking to guys at work who are massive Leafs fans. And they're just like, I'm just dead inside. I don't even know what to do. Like I didn't cry. I didn't get angry at the TV at the game. I just kind of laughed and smirked and moved on. So I never thought I'd say it in my life, but I actually kind of feel bad for Leafs fans. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I had that reaction as well. I mean, the clocks hit zeros and, um, you know, the first thing that I did, I let out a big laugh. It was just, it's just, it's so expected and yet it's, it's not, but it, but it, but it just, it is. And, you know, you, you're given a shred of hope. I mean, more than a shred, frankly, you got a whole block of cheese worth of hope and, they, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start here without going into a big rant. Like it's not even a rant. It's just, I, it, like you, you kind of said, as you like talking to, to other Leaf fans, I mean, it's like, it's exactly as you said, it's like, I'm not, I said this to you. I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm not, I mean, am I disappointed? Would, would I'd be lying if I say I wasn't disappointed. Obviously I'm disappointed, but I don't think disappointed goes far enough. It's, 
it's like, and, I, and I've given this analogy um, to a couple of people already, but you know, it's like when, you know, if you have a child and they do something wrong and you discipline them and say, Hey, don't do that. Okay. The first time you did, they do it. You're like, Oh, whatever. The second time they do it, you're like getting kind of pissed off. The third and fourth time you get either more increasingly mad or you're just disappointed. And like by the eighth or 10th time of them doing the same stupid thing, you're like, you're a dumbass and you deserve what you get. Right. And you deserve the bad consequences that you get. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Well, that's just the worst thing ever. It's, you ever hear like from parents or teachers or something, they go and they're like, I'm not mad at you. I'm disappointed. And it's worse. You feel way worse if someone says that to you. And that's basically how Leafs fans feel towards the Leafs. They're not mad. They're not sad. They're just disappointed, which is worse. But it also comes with almost no emotion. We had game seven of Montreal versus Toronto. That should be a great time, a great game for any hockey fan. And I don't know a single Leafs fan that was actually excited for the hockey game. And it's just, it's crazy. It blows my mind. I mean, I was apprehensive. I mean, there I, I, I was trying to get pumped up for it. But when you're up 3-1 and you blow a two-game lead, I mean, the writing's kind of on the wall there. And, and you hope, and I mean, I came out on, and on my Facebook, I put out a video. And I, I stand by the thought process on it here, the thought process on it, because I don't, there's, there's zero reasonable explanation here. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I could dive into this. And I, as I said, like, it's just, there, there's so many different facets um, to kind of get into. So do you want to, do you want to go game by game or, or do you want me to just go on a big rant? Where do you want me, where do you want to go? I want to touch on a couple of things before you go on a rant. There's going to be lots of depressing Leafs talk in the next bit. I want Mm -hmm. to talk. I don't think enough people are giving Montreal credit. Montreal had a game plan. They went to it. I'm listening to Leafs radio. It's all, oh, Marner didn't do this. Matthews didn't do this. Philip Deneau has proven he is one of the best shutdown centers in the league. Nathan McKinnon has said he is the hardest guy to play against. I don't know if you've ever seen a player, especially a centerman, have such a good series without getting a single point. Mm-hmm. There's not enough credit given there. There's not enough credit given to Dominique Ducharme and the way he managed the defense. Their top four D was unbelievable all series. They made it so hard on the Leafs. The Leafs got outcoached. Dominique Ducharme had a great game plan. As I said before the series, there is a game plan here that the Habs can win. They're going to rely on price a bit, but it's going to be limiting scoring chances, capitalizing on mistakes, and they did that. And I don't think there's enough credit. Yeah, the Leafs are more skilled, and we'll get into that. But Philip Deneau, Carey Price, you, when you look at Ben Sherratt, he deserves a ton of credit. Montreal played this the way they wanted to. Game one, they played it the way they wanted to. Game five, six, seven, for the most part, they played their style of game. And I just, I think there's a lot of credit to deal with this team. They brought in good pieces. Corey Perry had a great series. They brought in Stanley Cup proven winners. Eric Stahl stepped up. I didn't think he should be in the roster, in the lineup to start the playoffs. He was good. They stepped up. They got the job done. And I think there needs to be some credit there. We'll get into the Leafs not being good enough, but the Habs were good. They played their style. They did what they needed to do. And that's this just is not thought. surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally fair, valid. I mean, but this was our thoughts before. 
and this 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 has not uh, this has not changed. And the Habs are up two nothing right now on the Jets. I told you the Jets suck. The Jets are not good. I still stand by that on the video I posted on uh, on Monday. And sorry, last thing. First goal scored by Jesperi Kotkaniemi. He Great has series for him. Now eight goals in 17 career playoff games. That is more than Marner or Matthews in over 30 playoff games. Yeah. Well, and we'll get we'll get there. I but I think like just to acknowledge and like if you're listening, if you've listened to the podcast before, um, and we've posted the link, you can call in if you'd like. If nobody calls in, that's fine. I understand. You're you're sad. You don't want to talk. Blah blah blah. I get it. The line's open if you if you want to say your piece. Um, but we said from the start that this should be the this should have been the second round series, and by saying that. I'm assuming that the Leafs would have got past the first round. And honestly, I think if they actually would have won the first round and played the Habs in the second round, it might have been a different story. Maybe it would have been over for the Leafs in six or seven, but they actually might have been able to close the deal because they closed the deal in the first round. But because it was the first round, um, the the demons exist. And I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But back to the Habs, though. Um, I mean, Carey Price was excellent. In the last couple of games, I didn't think he had to make... Well, in the overtime on Game 6, he had to make a lot of good saves. Um, game 7, I really don't think he had to do next to anything. He stayed in position, came out to pucks. Um, they had no high-danger scoring chances or next to none. Um, they had so he, absolutely zero through 40 yeah. minutes in Game 7. Zero high-danger scoring chances. Yeah. So, and I mean, Nylander's goal, whatever. Like, it just made sure that it wasn't, like, shut out. The, the the sun didn't print anything about a shutout or whatever the case is. Um, but I thought he played spectacular in, in game uh, game five. I thought he played really, really good in the overtime in game six. I mean, the Habs um, got a little lucky in the sense where they, you know, they they gave up two leads. They gave up a lead in the in game five. They were up three nothing, gave up a three nothing lead, and they gave up a two oh lead in game six and lived to tell the tale. Now, they probably deserve to win the overtime in Game 5. They did not deserve to win the overtime in Game 6. Um, but you got to know how to win. If you look at the last three games overall, that Game 6 overtime, they were not the better team. But overall, in Game 5, 6, 7, Montreal was the better hockey team for the majority of those games. Overtime Game 6 was kind of the anomaly. They were not the better team in that overtime. No. But through 40, it should have been like 4 nothing for Montreal. Yeah. Jack Campbell was the only reason it was close. That's the other narrative I don't get from Leafs fans. This wasn't what you were thinking. Originally, the Leafs fans, Leafs media, they were like, the only chance Montreal has is if Carey Price pulls a Yaroslav Halak, a UC Saros, steals this series. He was great. He was a good goalie. He's a $10.5 million player. He didn't steal the series, though. It wasn't one of those where he was making 60 saves a game and stealing it. If you actually look at Campbell's numbers, are better. I think Carey Price had a little tougher at times, maybe. But goaltending was pretty close to a wash. It wasn't Carey Price stealing the series. Which, by the way, I think is actually more of a, um, you know, a testament to Jack Campbell's play. Because, you know, I know Carey Price was hurt and he got didn't have a great AHL start. But he played unreal. And the fact that Jack Campbell was able to play to that level. And yeah, okay, the Game 7 goal wasn't great the first one. But it didn't cost them the game. Um, and he, frankly kept them in game six the only reason they got to overtime was because of jack campbell as you said it could have been four scratch easy 
early. Um, so I, you know, and I'll, and again, I'll get into that in a little bit, but uh, more more about Campbell. I mean, there's there's so many different aspects that I can go into that can be 10, 15 minute tangents. But at the end of the day, you, as you said, they had a game plan to get it done. They got it done, and the Leafs just didn't. They just they went completely AWOL, and, um, you know, when you have the reputation of choking, even though it's not just your team that's a choking team, you that rides on you, I'm sure. It, it must. You hear the whispers. You hear the noise. You say you block it out. You know, Foligno came out and said, we're going to be ready to go in Game 7. You must not know your teammates, buddy. Because they sure didn't come out in Game 7. And that's the thing. Like, you heard Mitch Marner after Game 6. You're going into the Bell Center with fans for the first time in 444 days you've played in front of. And for Mitch Marner to come out after the game and say, yeah, we just didn't come prepared. It's Game 6 of the Stanley Cup playoffs at the Bell Center with fans against one of your greatest rivals all time. How were you not ready for that? Just, can you even explain that? How, how how are you not ready for game five? You're up three one. You can you can literally put the dagger in them. And I, and we talked about this before. I said I and after it went to game five, I was like, hey, well, this is not going to six. After we found out there was Habs in the or um, yeah, well, Habs in the stands, but fans in the stands. Um, it was five or seven, and that was it. And I'm not saying that they didn't have a chance to win game six. And I've told you this before. I think the Habs deserve to win the game, but the Leafs deserve to win the overtime, um, which it sounds ridiculous, but it's just the, it's just a fact. I think they deserve to win the game, but the Leafs definitely deserve to win the overtime and, and caught a bad break. But five or seven, how do you not come out in game five and just go? Like that's got to be like you need to have that game seven intensity in game five. And, and you could say, well, we haven't learned how to get there yet. Well, you better figure it out pretty damn quick because you're not like, there's nothing there. There's there, there wasn't excuses a year ago, two years ago, like 2019 versus Boston. There was no excuses. And you could say, well, you know, casually got suspended, blah, blah, blah. No bunch of garbage. Like seriously, you, this has been going on for far too long. Last year versus Columbus, zero excuse. Well, Elvis Merlinka. No, no. There was no excuses the last two years. So now you're, now you're, it's, you know, again, Felino came out and talked about cliches. That is the biggest cliche I've ever heard is, well, we were, we weren't prepared. Well, no shit. You weren't prepared. You lost and you had to come from behind. And not only that, it was your depth players and defensemen who had to bail you out. I mean, Muzzin was your third highest scorer. And after game five or game six, that's ridiculous. So I want to ask you, here's kind of a question I thought about all the last few days now, just kind of thinking on this series. In your opinion, one through three, who were the Leafs' best three players overall in through seven games? I thought that William Nylander, no, sorry, Jack Campbell was the best player by far. William Nylander is number two. TJ Brody's number three. I think TJ Brody was their best defenseman. His plus minus was excellent. Um he moved the puck really well. I didn't notice any time where he looked like a liability. And I said this quite a bit throughout the series that there was guys that I'm like, man, like Spezza and Thornton, I know they scored in game four, but they looked like absolute liability sometimes. And again, Spezza pots one in game five. Um, I think it was, uh, but, 
or game six. I, I don't know. It all blends together. But, you know, there's guys that absolutely look like liability. Marner was a liability a lot of the time. Always turned it over. But Campbell, Nylander, who, by the way, Nylander was unbelievable in my opinion. I mean, the guy, you should, like, if this guy played like that last year, like, the, the contract talks and the trade talks, and I and I said this earlier in the year. I said, look, this guy, because of his contract, when he's playing like this, is priming himself for, for trade. And if he plays better, um, that helps his trade value. My opinions have changed. We're going to talk about that a little later. But, but yeah, Campbell, Nylander, TJ Brody's my one, two, three. Yeah, so I was kind of thinking about this too. Campbell, to me, easy number one. Nylander, easy number two. You can probably have... I, I was throwing Muzzin in there. I know he got injured and missed a couple games, so that kind of probably takes him out. Galchaniak was and Kerfoot were actually even up there for a couple games. They were really good in games three and four. So we could get like six or seven guys deep and not mention Matthews or Marner. Yeah, well, Galchaniak's at the bottom of the list. It's him, Sandine, and Dermot at the bottom of the list. If you, I don't care how many good p- games you play. If you do a blind pass, which turns into a two-on-one in overtime, then in the playoffs, yeah, you're at the bottom of the list. I don't care if you scored 10 goals. So my only thing there is if you actually dissect the play, there is zero reason for Caulfield to be where he was. And if he was, if that, if he didn't get that pass, Montreal would have been in really big trouble. Caulfield, that was the only play all series. Montreal had two forwards up at the blue line. Montreal's a collapsing team. There was zero way for Caulfield to be there. It was kind of muscle memory. The only thing for Galchenyuk is he was their best player in game four. He had two unreal assists. Yep, even that game where he, even game five there where he had the terrible turnover, he had a great assist that game too. Yep. So he was a difference maker in parts of this series. He made one critical mistake and it hurt. But I was actually more terrified of Alex Galchenyuk than I was of Mitch Marner this entire series. Well, I think that that's somebody who I would investigate into re-signing. Um, but in terms of the, the Caulfield play, just go back to that for a second. Yes, he there's if you dissect the play, he's in a spot maybe where he shouldn't be. But that's why you have a thing called eyeballs and you look where you're putting the puck because I know the NHL is quick. And I know that the pace of play is, you know, you gotta, it's gotta be bang, bang. You're doing all this stuff. It's, it's, you know, you're throwing it there. Cause you don't think anybody, this is why you look. And if you don't look, and I mean, guys do this all the time where they throw it up the middle and they don't look and it's stupid. Like, or, or they'll whip a shot around the boards and they don't notice that there's a guy on the other side on a power play and it goes down the other end for a, a shorthanded break. Like it's amazing to me how people don't use their eyeballs ever. They just do their thing. And like, I mean, that's a quick one. It's not that hard. You look and if it's not there, you dump it back in. I get, and I get it. I, I a hundred, I've been there, right? I've been there in a playoff game. Like not obviously the same caliber by even a, a lot like close, but I've been there where you're, you're in the zone. You're trying to make a play. You've been on fire. You want to be that difference maker. Sometimes you got to take a step back. Remember your fundamentals because that is so against every fundamental of every hockey player that it's just, I can't, it's, it's, it's inexcusable. Yeah. So it just goes back to my entire point though, on this top three, we aren't even for a second thinking that it might be Marner or Matthews in this top three or even top five. 
And that's where you have the biggest issues. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. So, I mean, we're at a point where I can't. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go on my tangent here because, I mean, it's all kind of tying together. And and I apologize if this rambles or I circle back or whatever the case is. Um, but it's it's. I mean, it's got to be done. And again, I'm not. This is not me being mad. I, I've had tons of people asking me about, hey, what are you gonna rant about on the pod? Are you gonna be mad? This, that, and the other thing. And no, I mean, this is just a matter of fact. And and the facts of the uh, of the series is this: is that I thought Matthews was dangerous at times. I didn't think that he created. He didn't drive a line. And this discussion of does Matthews need Marner? Well, yeah. Because when you're playing against Phil Deneau and and their best defensive line, you're going to need that separation because otherwise you're just trying to shoot it from spots where Carey Price can save it. You're not that good of a shooter that a $10.5 million goalie is not going to save it from 30 feet by the boards. Like the, like if you looked at even in Game 7, the areas where they were shooting from, you mentioned high-danger high scoring chances, not even that. Just in the in – the, like, they, they, they got like one shot from the middle of the ice. Everything was on the outside and the point, like there was nothing there for him to do. And it's his job to go out and, and, and make that space. I get it. But you also need your guy Marner to do. And I just want to comment to a couple things about Mitch Marner. Um, this guy is, you know, one of the best players on our team. He led the team in points this year for this guy to be getting death threats on social media is ridiculous. Like, and, and ridiculous, I don't think is enough because it's a game. Yes. They're getting paid a lot of money. Yes. They're entertainers, but it's a game. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be sending the Baker family on family feud death threats if they lost the game of family feud. So chill the fuck out. He's 20, what? Five years old, 24 years old. He's a 24-year-old kid. Everybody's screaming at this guy about how mad you are. You're 32, six years old, divorced once, living in your parents' basement. Like, seriously. Like, like get over yourself. Um, and does Marner now, analytically, does Marner deserve blame? Absolutely he does. You're making over $10 million a year. You led the team in points, as I said, and you need to be better. And I don't think it's wrong to criticize a player when they are a massive part of the salary cap, a top four player on your team, and they don't perform. You think that McDavid didn't get roasted for getting swept by Winnipeg? Then you're dead wrong. Like, this guy's the best player in the world, and he got heat. Okay? So, I mean, you just... You know, Marner absolutely had to be better, and he played scared. He played afraid to lose. And when you're afraid to lose, you're not going to win. Yeah, so I'd like to chime in on Marner here. Yeah. Because, yeah, when it comes to the death threats, you can't do that. If you want to go on social media and criticize his play, criticize maybe that he's overpaid, yeah, go for it. He's getting paid over $10 million to be a player in the NHL. You can 100% criticize him with that. Anything personally or off the ice, you can't do. One thing I have to say is I'm tired of Marner. It's in these interviews right now. Jack Campbell has taken more blame than Marner or Matthews through these press conference, these interviews. Marner today, we were super unlucky. 
We way outchanced them. We did all that. Marner, we have stats to back it up. You didn't. You didn't get a ton of chances. You weren't super unlucky. The effort wasn't there. There is stats. There's analytics to back up the opposite of you're saying. Your effort didn't seem good enough. You just weren't good enough in this series. Stop saying you're super unlucky. We did all the right things. You didn't. We have stats to prove this now. Take some blame. Stand up and take some blame. I know you said you need to be better and you expect more from yourself. You can't have Jack Campbell tearing up saying, I let in a terrible goal in game seven and taking Worst goal some, of my career. Taking blame for it. The guy was phenomenal all series. Yep. You weren't. You need to step up and take the blame. You need to be backing up Campbell. Not saying, oh, we lost the series because we were unlucky. We were by far the better team. You weren't. You were the better team in three games. You won those three games. Stop saying, it's just, we have the stats to back it up that you're just wrong. So don't go to the media and keep just saying we're unlucky. We didn't get the bounces. Well, well and part of that is to take the heat off you. And I get it, man. Like nobody, it, it, it takes a lot of character to admit when you have done something wrong and publicly admit that you weren't good enough. That's very difficult, especially as a young player. I mean, you pride yourselves on, on being a professional, but part of the gig is that when everybody knows that you weren't good enough, you have to go out and say, yeah, I was terrible. I'm going to take the summer off, take a step back, get myself refreshed and get ready for next year so that this doesn't happen again. That would be a correct response to let Jack Campbell march himself out there or to let Brennan, like even Brennan Shanahan today, march himself out there and basically take, take blame. Dubas take blame. Sorry guys. You had the best team on paper that the Leafs have had in my lifetime, maybe. And you lost in game seven after being up three, one. I mean, if it's, if I'm Jack Campbell's teammate, there's no chance in hell. I'm even letting him get on the podium. Like I I'm, I'm marching up there and what, and I will sit, I'll plunk my ass right beside him. And anything he says, I'll grab the mic and just be like, um, actually, uh, Jack, uh, shut, just shut your face. Sh- just shut up. Cause he didn't deserve like Jack Campbell did not deserve to be asked those uh, like to, to go up there and take blame whatsoever. Yes. That goal. I, I, by the way, I don't think it actually was the worst goal of his career. He might think it is because of the, the magnitude and whatever. It's one goal. You have a team who you have a rocket winner. You have a guy who scored 67 points. You had a power play that was the best in the league for a month or a month and a half. And you guys went for like two for 35 or something ridiculous on the, or two for 30 on the I don't even know what it was. Ridiculous amounts. Um, you, you, maybe it wasn't quite that much, or I think the, the stat might've been two for the last 35. I don't know, but you scored two power play goals. Not even you. Some guys did. Jack Campbell should not have answered any questions. He should just gone up there and been like, I was good enough. Mic drop, walk the fuck out because that's seriously what I would have done. Just like I, yeah, I I'm sitting here and I think Marner is the number one player to blame. This is a guy who still made it so publicly about how he was trying to get more money out of the Leafs and he deserved more. It was so public between him and his dad and agent and his dad pushing his agent to get more money and he wouldn't sign and he almost held out and it started a whole bunch with the Leafs maybe signing for too much or whatever. That's a different conversation. If you're going to do that publicly, then you definitely deserve to publicly be shamed for your play. Not 
death threats and stuff, like I said. No. But you definitely deserve, on social media, if guys want to criticize you for your play, if the media wants to criticize you for your play, they deserve it. You, you deserve to be criticized. You are getting paid over $10 million a year to play hockey in the city of Toronto. And it's not like you're a Wendy's employee. Like, if you go out and blast, like, Janine from Wendy's because your burger's cheese was on the wrong side, like, okay, seriously, take a step back. When you're a polarizing figure and the Maple Leafs are the most polarizing sports team in Canada, probably, definitely in Toronto, um, like, what do you expect? These are the tough questions that are going to get asked. And you weren't good enough, man. Like, eat it. Eat, like, I mean, Craig Button uh, was laughing that the Habs could come back, which, I mean, you know, I never would come out and say something that outrageous. I mean, I know you've got a smile on your face right now, but this guy comes out and basically says it's laughable for the Habs to come back. They're done. They don't have a chance. He came out after game seven and said that he had two crows on a spit so that he could eat them. He's eating humble pie. He, he took it in stride. It's not that hard to do because you got to remember in this franchise, in this team, in this fan base, guess who's going to be in the building in the fall screaming your name? The same fans that you're criticizing. Get over the next four to five days. And yes, Leafs fans, Leafs fans may be pissed, but we're we're bad to a fault where we have extremely short memories until it gets the playoffs and we're in game seven and then we'll never forget. Well, we just got to touch on Craig button again. First off before the series, when he saw this matchup happening, he publicly came out and said the Habs have zero chance at winning four games. They won't even win one. I mean, like you're supposed to be a hockey expert. Any hockey expert should have at least seen the Habs winning one game. Yeah, you Craig know what? Button, Craig Button needs to come on over six sports, I think, because, I mean, we had it at – we. I think we both had it at six, which I thought was reasonable, and you said it could go to seven, and I said there's no way it's happening at five. So, Yeah. But, yeah, just touching on, I mean, the fans, there's definitely ghosts in that building, the ACC, Scotiabank Arena. There's got to be. But, I mean, it's just crazy. Like – after game five, you saw it a little bit, and you're like, okay, game six is going to be tough going to the fans. Then Emmy scored an overtime in game six, and you're like, you could almost see it instantly on guys like Riley and Marner. You're like, oh, shit. Like, it's now coming down to one game, and we haven't been very good. And then just game seven, you're just watching them. Like, Marner missed the net by a mile the one time, and his head's straight back, and you're like, this game's over. Like, Montreal's up 2 nothing. It's over now. And – just seeing guys dejected like that, like there's no pushback. But like and this is, but this is the difference. Sorry to interrupt, but this is the difference. Is after game four, did you see the way the Habs bench looked? Dejected, yeah. heads down, like can't believe they're down three one. And guess what they did? They came out. They, you know, cliche, but put their nose to the grindstone and went out and grinded out three more wins. Like I just this back to like you know back to the wall urgency that they're talking about. I don't it it did not exist, and I it, maybe it's because, and I and I said this earlier in the season. I was really hoping that, you know, the skids that they went on the the two three games that they lose in a row. I was hoping that, you know, that would be the experience that you need. You go on the skid and you say, hey, 
we're good enough to get ourselves out of this, like, let's go. Or the experience in the fact that in Game 5 and in Game 6, you came back from deficits to tie the game, send it to overtime, and I'm like, okay, maybe that's the experience that we need. Definitely in game five, I thought, okay, so game six is when it was two nothing. I'm like, we're good. We're gonna. I that one, I, I, you know, down three in game five, I was like, eh, maybe not. Game six, I'm like, yeah, we're coming back in this one. And then the benefit of of their high powered offense is that they're never out of it, except for game seven where it's two nothing or yeah, two nothing. They get a power play to start the third period, which is the worst power play I think I've seen in my entire life. I mean, you watch Colorado the other night, and oh my gosh, like they just whip the puck around like no tomorrow. And I get Vegas is coming off a high. They got dusted that game in game one. But the way they move the puck, the movement they have, there's just confidence about them when the Leafs had zero confidence on the power play. Zero, negative. If Manny Malhotra is with the team next year, I would be mind blown. Honestly, we need Dr. Haley Wickenheiser in here because seriously, uh, uh, the Canadian women figured out how to win all odds stacked against them. And I don't know what, I don't know what, what's going on with that, but like we need more Dr. Haley, seriously. I mean, Dr. Haley Wickenheiser can't wear a mask properly, which kind of threw me off the entire time. She kept getting shown, (laughs) but just kind of touching on that. Fully fully vaccinated. That's why. I thought in the off season with the Leafs and all their veterans, Jason Spezza was actually phenomenal in this series. We forgot to mention him. He was one of their best players oh, yeah. in the series. Yep. Joe Thornton. Yikes. All you hear about is how good of a guy he is in the room, how he's taken over the locker room. This guy has been a part of some of the biggest collapses in NHL history. The guy has won nothing in his career. Is this the guy you really want being the top of your locker room? Can't be I, now. Sorry. Wayne Simmons. I kind of liked it, them bringing him in. I didn't mind it. I thought the expectations were high for him. He didn't push around anybody this series. He got pushed around by Corey Perry and Josh Anderson. Yeah, I didn't see that happening. When it's crazy to think in the off season, he took less money. Montreal offered him more money. He took less money to be with the Leafs. You know who Montreal settled for and used that money for? Corey Perry. He was way better this series. I will take Corey Perry over Wayne Simmons in a playoff series any day of the week now. So I question some of these moves. I question Spezza. He stepped up. So I'll give Spezza credit. But when you just keep hearing that Thornton is the biggest voice in this room, the guy's won nothing. The guy's a part of the biggest collapses in NHL history. So he is a perennial loser. I'm not saying he's a loser. I mean, he's a he. by all intents and purposes, from what I've heard, he's a great person. And he's from, I think he's from St. Thomas, right? So he's... You know, he's a local guy, um, and I can absolutely see that the guys on the team love him. But if you don't know how to win, you're a loser. You just lose. You know how to lose. And this is not like schoolyard, <laughs> you're a loser. It's like you are a loser. You lose. That's what you do. Um, you know, Joe Thornton was a part of the team that blew, uh, that San Jose team that blew a 3 nothing lead to L.A. when L.A. went on to win the Cup that year. Three nothing. He's on that team. He was a part when uh, pretty sure when Montreal came back against Boston way back in the day. He was part of that team too. They were up three. Boston was up three one against Montreal. Montreal came back to win that one. Now he's part of another three one collapse. So yeah, I mean, I just he he won't be back on the Leafs next year. Um, and I think that's where we're gonna go next. I just want to add 
some final thoughts. I, I just want to, I think, I think something that I want to do next, because, um, you know, if, if this was going, if this was going the other way and, and it was the Habs, I mean, maybe we talk about that a little bit more, but since it's the Leafs on the outside golfing at uh, Glencairn, I know you saw that T sheet today. I'm sure you had your boys out there. So, um, who knows actually if they actually showed up, but, um, I think that's kind of where I want to go next is, is, is who's going to be back. Who's not going to be back. What's the off season look like and, and how we're going to do it. But my closing, my closing thoughts on the Leafs is this, is that, um, as Cam, as you said at the start, there's nothing worse as a fan base as having that feeling of emptiness and having that feeling of, um, hopelessness or not surprise. And, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a lot of work to do in terms of regaining their fans' trust. Because if you want to have people in the building screaming, you know, getting up on their feet, getting excited, driving that team, you know, giving them the extra uh, bit they need to win, you have to give them a reason to do so. You, they have not given fans a reason to do so in the past lifetime they haven't won a playoff series in 18 years now or whatever it is and you need to give the fans a reason to cheer for you because they can cheer for you all you want in the in the regular season all you want and and by the way i'd also like to comment that at least fans who are like i'm cheering for the kraken now whatever i don't even want to just garbage like seriously anybody who who's not going to cheer for the least moving forward like hey great good riddance because that's not how it works you ride with your team Dallas Cowboy fans, Cleveland Brown fans, um, Buffalo fans. I mean, Buffalo's <laughs> Buffalo might be a little different situation, but um, there's a lot of fans. They've actually won four playoff series in the last 18 years, so well, yeah, that is how I mean, it's different. I mean, fair enough. But also, like okay, another example I'll give you is Buffalo Bills fans. They lost three straight Super Bowls, and Buffalo's still the wildest place to play, and they haven't won anything. Okay. But you have to give the fans something, man. You can't keep doing this over and over and over again because if you want to keep the, if you want to turn Scotiabank Arena back into the, a wild barn, you're never going to be the Bell Center. You're never going to be MTS Center in Winnipeg. Like it's just not going to happen. But if you want to convert the, uh, to, from suits to to actual fans, you have to give the fan who scrapes and earns every single dollar to come see your team a reason to cheer for your team. Stop breaking the stop breaking your fans' heart over and over and over again and giving excuses that nobody wants to hear. Because it's not, and I get it. The top, the, the bottom line is is that the MLSE prints money. We all get that. But at some point, you need to look yourselves in the mirror. And I get they're just humans. I totally understand this. But as a franchise, you have to look yourselves in the mirror and say, we cannot continue down this path of mediocrity. And that's what it is. And you could say, well, they had their team was better this year. The paper, blah. I don't care about any of that. The law, If you keep underperforming, no matter who you have in there, that's not a, that's not a personnel problem. It's an identity crisis. You have an absolute, unequivocal identity crisis. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. You don't know who's supporting you. You don't care. And that's what it comes down to. This is this is what all of my feelings is towards. Is like you're settling being a money-making team. And Stephen A. Smith, maybe he's right. Maybe you are the Dallas Cowboys of the NHL. But it doesn't have to be that way. 
you had the opportunity this series to, to change the narrative, to exercise the demons. We're not like them. Well, guess what? Yes, you are. So this is a call to action next season. It's like the next season, if you win the President's Trophy, I don't care. I don't think any fan cares. If you win the first round, would I be happy? Yes. Does it matter? No, because you can't just settle for this garbage. Setting these low goals that don't matter. Beating the Habs in Game 7 would have been great. Yes, if you didn't get out of the North and didn't make the Conference Finals. I said this before. Would that be disappointing? Absolutely, because you had the talent to do it. So thank you, Toronto Maple Leafs, for at least setting my expectations perfectly so that I didn't even ex- so that I didn't have to worry about playing Winnipeg and, and, and being disappointed because, hey, we set the bar as low as it possibly can be set. And the last thing, Cam, before we get into what, I th- what, the, what the Leafs are going to do moving forward and where we think it's going to go, I have hope. And the reason that I have hope, and, I, and, and maybe this is what kills me as a Leaf fan, but the reason I have hope is it cannot get worse. It cannot. They could suck for the next 10 years, and it could literally not get worse. My indifference would be on a, on a linear plane. It would not move up. It would not move down. My indifference would be the exact same. If they lose in the first round next year, it will be the exact same. If they don't make the playoffs next year, it'll be the exact same. I don't know what has to happen to make me to care again about failure. And obviously by this rant, I care about failure. But I, I, I seriously don't know what else you could do to make me upset and to make me lose hope. So with that comes the hope that it can only get better because this has to be rock bottom. Yeah, you're kind of at a crazy crossroads here. I'm seeing Toronto media trying to be hopeful and being like, the Washington Capitals couldn't get it done for years. Ovechkin stepped up. They finally got it done. Yeah, they did. Do you know what other team didn't, though? The San Jose Sharks. They might have had more talent during the last 5-10 years than anybody else. With Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, some of the other pieces they had there. And they never got it done. So who are you going to be here? Are you going to be the San Jose Sharks where guys can never get it done. You have all the skill. You're the best team on paper. And now you see Joe Thornton chasing cups. Marlowe was trying to chase cups. Or can you make the changes? Can you do what Washington did? Find those right depth pieces, make the difference. I know you're trying to be hopeful and compare yourself to Washington, but there is that San Jose team as well. And you got to look at both sides here and it's tough. So, I mean, that's where we can look at is what's next. Where do we go with this roster? And, and before we do that, Washington, you want to know what the difference between Washington was? They made it past the first round more than once. They actually won playoff series. And yeah, they came up short, but they actually had some success. If you want to like quote unquote finger uh, quotations or whatever you want to call it. They had some success. Sure, they had heartbreak. And yes, it took them a long time to win. But they actually one playoff series you can't not win ever and expect to be like oh we're like washington it'll come eventually yeah how about you win a one round how about you don't break your fan base's heart over and over and over again let's start there well that's like i kept joking around at the beginning of the series when people were saying oh the leafs should sweep the habs oh it should be over in five leafs fans don't expect to win a series in any games i said that multiple times you don't have any right to expect to win a series nope. in any games. Just try and win a series. And they couldn't do it again. So I... 
I mean, it's it's uh, it's super disappointing. Sorry, my phone went off there. It's uh, it's super disappointing. Um, I'm sure that was Mitch Marner calling me about my uh, my takes and and all this kind of stuff. But um, so where do you want to start with this roster, Bert? Do you want to start at the top or the bottom and see what changes we think need to happen? Okay, so let's. I, I, where I want to start. So, so I, I think I want to start with okay. Let's let's start from the. Let's start from now and kind of move it forward because we're going into free agency and, you know, and if you look at the Leafs, they have a bunch of um, free agents coming up. And the other part about this year, which I think is interesting, is that it's the expansion draft this year for the Seattle Kraken. So not only do you have to sign guys, but you also have to expose guys in the expansion draft, so there's a there's a lot of conversation to happen here. So, um, I want to start with the expansion draft first. Uh, actually, no, let's go through the resign phase first and who you're going to try to resign, and then we'll move into expansion draft because it, it it kind of affects who they're going to be able to the Kraken are going to be able to pick up. That sound good? Yeah, sounds good to me. Okay, so. You know, and and so I'm looking at cap friendly right now. So here's who we got uh, on contract for uh, the 2021-2022 season. So you got Austin Matthews, uh, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, Alexander Ker- Kerfoot, um, Ilya Mikheyev for one more year, Pierre Engvall for one more year, Adam Brooks one more year on a rookie deal, Riley Nash, Zach Hyman, Wayne Simmons, Nick Foligno, Alex Galchenyuk, Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton are uh, UFAs. So they've got seven UFAs on offense. And then on the defensive side, you've got Jake Muzzin signed. Obviously, he just signed a four-year deal. you got Jake Muzzin signed. Uh, you got Morgan Riley for one more year. You got TJ Brody signed at $5 million for three more years. Then you got Justin Hall at $2 million for two more years. And Rasmus Sandin's on his last year of his entry level contract at $894. Um, Bogosian, Hutton, Marinchin are UFAs. And Travis Dermott is an RFA. Um, so let's start with offense, Cam. Let's start with offense and, and who are the guys out of the UFAs that they have who is a priority to sign? Um, and by priority sign, I don't necessarily mean, you know, like they're going to make the most impact necessarily, but like, who do we, who do I want to bring back? Um, Jason Spetson needs to come back. I think that's the most obvious one for me. Um, and I'll get to Zach Hyman in a second, but, um, J- Jason Spetz is the most obvious one for me. Um, you'll bring him back at, he might get a bit of a raise. Let's say you even bring him back at 800 or whatever the case is, um, He's not going to get selected in an expansion draft. He's an old guy. He doesn't. He won't have that much salary cap, so you won't have to protect him whatsoever. You bring him back. The, um, the other guy that I'd want to bring back would be, I think, Alex Galchenyuk. I think, I think he could find a home in Toronto. I think that he's played well enough that he deserves uh, deserves another shot. You know, he was making a million fifty. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if it, some of his contract was, was eaten up, but he was making a million fifty this year. Now he's a UFA. So even if he's making a million and a half or two, um, maybe not quite two, but somewhere in there, even if he signed to a bridge deal for, bridge deal for two years, I think that's a guy that I want to see back in the lineup. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think Spets and Galchenyuk are good pieces on your bottom six. I think they can fit in there nice. You like the upside with both of them as they can both move up if a guy goes down. You don't want them playing top six minutes fully. No. But they can both step in on the power play. If you need a little help there, they give you a lot of different options. So both as bottom six players, you really like. When you're talking about guys like Nick Foligno's going to want too much money to stay in Toronto. He's gone. <laughs> I didn't see enough from Wayne Simmons. I wouldn't sign him again. I don't I don't think there's any way they should or would want to. If he's on the cheap, there's a chance. I mean, uh he's he was a, a buck 5. If he signs for a buck 5 again, I could see it because the problem is Cam is that you got to sign guys to play. Right? You 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 need somebody. So if he wants to sign another year at a million 5, which frankly, I don't know if the UFA market's going to give him more. I I don't. I couldn't imagine because of the season that he had. It wasn't that good. If he's a million five, I take him again. Yeah, I just think you like the depth and the younger guys. Like I saw more from Angvall and Brooks than I did Simmons. So from the outside looking in, I think some of those young guys you got to give more of a leash and let them kind of step up. Maybe sign some of those kind of guys who are kind of AHL NHL in between guys. Joe Thornton. I mean, it doesn't sound like it sounds like Joe Thornton's gone. Yeah, you can't sign him. I don't care about how good of a guy he is in the room. You needed better leadership in this playoff series. I think that's clear. And if he's one of those big voices, his play wasn't good enough to warrant it. He's gone. Brett Riley Nash is gone. They're not doing anything with that. Yeah, Um, two games he played were not great, so I can't see it. I mean, maybe they sign him for a million bucks as kind of a depth guy, and you see what's there because he he's been okay. But yeah, I mean nothing more than that. He's not and getting then, two seven five. I'll tell you that. No, and then you got to We got to talk about the big guy. The big, yep. in my opinion, is Zach Hyman. And they they need to sign him. I think he's proven that he can play up and down the lineup. If you need a line to get going, you throw Zach Hyman there. It's not much different than in Montreal than Gallagher. Montreal struggles. The line's go, not going for a bit. You throw Brendan Gallagher on it. He gets the line going. He just all the energy gets to the pucks. I mean, you'd like to see a little more scoring from Hyman that Gallagher doesn't quite have, but you need to sign him. He's going to be an important piece. He he looked good in Game 7. He was one of their best players in Game 7, in my opinion. He's a guy who you need in this lineup, and he's got to be your top priority. So we're going to come back to this because I think there's multiple situations of where you're going to go here. And I know we're, we're – I mean, this podcast is going to be long. It's This is just the deep dive, and this is what you get when the Leafs go out. Um, so let's move into defense really quickly here. So Jake Muzzin – is not going anywhere. TJ Brody's not going anywhere. Neither should he, because frankly, as I said, I thought he was one of their top players in the playoffs. Muzzin as well. I thought Muzzin played unbelievable. Um, he scored two goals in the one game. Um, my father-in-law would say that uh, he probably needs to play his position a little more because he's not fast enough to get back. But um, you know what you're getting with Muzzin. And uh, and Justin Hall. I mean, Justin Hall is there for another two years at $2 million bucks. I think that's a steal. I think that he maybe regressed a little this year as opposed to last year, um, but he's still a solid option. Um, and there's nobody here that you're. I mean, if Dermot, depending on the money that Dermot wants as an RFA, I don't think Dermot really demands that much from a contract because Marincin and Hutton are, are gone. I could see you trying to re sign Bogosian. I didn't think that he was terrible other than that failed block in game six. 
Yeah, I think I think the Leafs would like to sign Dermott if they can sign him for cheap. He actually proved to be okay a lot of the year. I when I started looking more at his numbers, he was a decent third pairing D, but it's the money's just got to be right there. And he's an RFA, so he doesn't have many rights. So you might be looking at some sort of bridge deal, two years, three million dollars, so one point five a year to two million dollars a year. That might be worth it to keep him around for a couple years as your third pairing D. Bogosian, again, same deal. If you can get him cheap for a year, I don't think you want to sign him any more than a year. He definitely, no. No. the speed's down. He doesn't look like that. When he was on Tampa, he was their seventh D. He stepped in some games, was out some games. So I've seen enough from Bogosian that if he can be your seventh D, you're happy. If you can sign him on a one-year cheap deal, you take it. If he wants even $2 million for one year, I start to wonder a little bit. I think you would hope to see more from the young guys, like get Sandine in a bunch, get Lilligren in a little more. If they're if a guy like Bogosian's going to ask for too much money. Yep. No, and I and I agree. So, and this kind of ties in with um, the expansion draft. So you can either um, protect seven forwards, three defensemen. You get one goalie. So, I mean, Jack Campbell is got one more year at one six five. Um, Frederick Anderson's a UFA. Jack Campbell's not coming back. Sorry, Frederick Anderson's not coming back. Jack Campbell's going to be the Leafs' number one goalie moving forward. Um, so Leafs are going to have to sign a backup goalie, whether it's Riddick. I don't know. But they have Hutchison on the line next year still. He's paid one more year, so he can be their guy exposed. Okay, so you can go, yeah, so you can go Hutchison. Um, I don't – I'm not convinced that, as I said, Frederick Anderson's not coming back. Do you agree? Do you disagree? I think he's gone, gone. No, there's, they made it quite clear that he's not their goalie anymore. Frederick Anderson has proven enough that he can be a starter. He's going to find a starting position somewhere else or at least a better opportunity to be like a true 1A, 1B tandem, which he might not get in Toronto. So I think he's going to find a spot to start. Uh, I don't see any any way he's back with the Leafs. And, and which by, I mean, Campbell's done enough where I think that he's proven that he can be a number one guy for them. I don't know if he's... I don't. I don't know if he's a cup-winning material goalie by any means, but he's. But he's did enough in that series where I. Th- I thought he was good. I. Th- I. I legitimately thought watching that that I had more faith in Campbell than I did in Anderson, and I didn't think that w- was possible, frankly. Yeah. No. I a hundred percent agree. My only thought when it comes to the Leafs goaltending and what they should do in free agency is find a guy like who can be a one B, who's better than just a backup but who's a little more veteran and good with that position. I look at a guy like Yaroslav Halak as a free agent this year. I think he could fit that mold of a guy who would really want to be the backup and is okay with that, but can also take a lot of the load off, play a couple games in a row if you need it. But he kind of knows his place now, where like yep. a guy like Freddie Anderson still wants to start. I think a guy like Yaroslav Halak could really help take the load off Campbell. Campbell's never started a full year. Even mm-hmm. this year when he was the starter for most of the year, it was a shortened year. So that's kind of, I think they need to find a 1B, a guy to kind of split a lot of the time, still take a lot of the payload off, and a guy who's good with that, though, and doesn't really want to push for the starter. So that's where, like, a guy like Yaroslav Halak, I think, would fit perfect there if the money's right. Yeah, kind of like, um, I mean, it's a little different, but, I mean, in Vegas, they've got Flurry and Robin Leonard. And, uh, by the way, just just talking about this for a quick one quick second, because we're still talking Leafs here. Um the Vegas Golden Knights started Robin Leonard in game one. He got ripped apart for 7-1. And people were like, why wouldn't you put Fleury in? I actually thought that was a brilliant coaching move, putting Leonard in. Because Vegas is like, oh, I bet you the coach was like, we're going to get torched here. 
Like, Colorado swept 4-0. We won in Game 7. Our guys are coming down off a high. We're going to be tired, and we are just going to get our shit pumped. Um, let's put in Leonard and, and give Flurry the night off. I actually thought it wasn't a terrible move. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting move, especially when Leonard was giving the looks after the fifth goal. Like, um, are you gonna give get me, me the out mercy? of here? Are you no. gonna give me the mercy pull? And they're like, no, we're giving Flurry the night off completely. You're stuck in there. Flurry's yeah. playing next game. He's not. He's just gonna rest. So, as soon as that kind of happened, you're like, okay, now I kind of understand Vegas's thoughts a little more. Yeah. They were almost almost playing game one as a write off, which I was a little scared tonight. Montreal would do that. They came out hot. We'll see him come the third period if they run out of gas. Because it is tough. You're coming off a tough, emotional seven-game series, less than 48 hours in between the next series, and the other teams waited for a week and a half. Yeah. That's tough. So kind of a big letdown spot. But, yeah, I actually – the more I thought about it, I didn't mind Leonard starting game one. But but that's a guy that you might – like like a Robin Leonard type of guy where Fleury is the guy guy. And you could say there's a goalie argument there. But there's really not. I mean, I know Leonard wants to start, but – so it's a little different, but it's pretty obvious who the starter there is. But the Halak angle uh, angle is not not terrible. Yeah, the other goalie that's came up quite often, but the Leafs fans would be jaded so bad as James Reimer has come up as no, kind of that one B. But I, absolutely I wasn't, not. I wasn't going to go there because Leafs fans still have terrible thoughts about him. No, but he's been a great one B in Carolina for a couple Cam, of years now. Cam, just shut shut your face. We're trying to get rid of the bad juju. Why are you bringing in more bad juju? Like you seriously want to put in, you want to bring James Reimer on a team so that when we're up a th- next year in the playoffs, three one, or we have a four one lead in the game, that you want James Reimer to be on the bench just smirking because he's like, uh, I've been here. Before. No, thank you. No, not even at all. Um. So yeah, so I think goaltending, you're okay. So expansion draft, you got to expose seven and three or eight. Or sorry, you got You can you can protect seven and three, so seven forwards, three D, or you can or you can uh, protect eight guys total. So with all the UFAs that there are, there's like those guys obviously are don't qualify. So on the so in my opinion, I think you're going seven and three. I think there's one defenseman that you're going to expose, and I'm not going to go through who everybody. I'm not going to say everybody who I think they'll protect because it's pretty darn obvious. There's guys who have no move clauses. Um, the two guys that I think you're going to – so, by the way, Adam Brooks doesn't qualify because he's on an entry-level deal. Um, but uh, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys signed. So you actually can protect everybody on the forwards, which I think is good because you want to keep some sort of consistency, which means that you're protecting three defensemen. So it would be Jake Muzzin. TJ Brody and Justin Hall because Rasmus Sandin's on an ELC, which means you're exposing one player. As long as nobody's signed before then, they're exposing one player, and it's Morgan Rally at $5 million, and I support it. The only thing is, is here's the question mark here Morgan Riley's modified no trade clause is exempt from expansion drafts, Justin Hall's is not. So Morgan Riley would actually have to waive his modified no trade clause where Justin Hall has no choice there. So that's kind of a tough one. Yeah, one year left with Mo though. I mean, frankly, do you really I I would not be surprised if Mo got traded or was moved at 5 million bucks, like seriously. I I think it I mean with one year left, I would not be surprised if he got moved for a second round pick 
plus a prospect or something like that. No, you could get a good haul for Morgan Riley, and I don't think that's a terrible way to go. The only thing is, is without Freddie Anderson signing, you're going to have a little more money than you think you do. And if Morgan Riley's gone, you really need a top 4D badly. But that could touch on a different point that you're hearing the last couple of days. So I don't know if we want to go there yet. Hit me. So a lot of the talk is Mitch Marner for Seth Jones. Seth Jones has one year left on his contract. and said he's not signing an extension in Columbus. So there's lots of rumors going around. Could you trade Mitch Marner for Seth Jones? Assuming Seth Jones agrees to an extension with Toronto. You're not trading him for one year of Seth Jones. But assuming Seth Jones agrees to a contract with the Leafs and an extension, would you consider trading Mitch Marner for Seth Jones? Seth Jones plus what? Just straight up. Seth Jones is no. a true number one D. Yeah, I don't know if you're trading that straight up. Because then you've got to fill out... I mean, you're going to clear... Well, you probably won't clear that much cap space, frankly. What's Seth Jones going to command? 8-5 eight, eight, or 7 or something like that? Yeah, you're probably looking at 8-5. So it's probably $1 to $2 million cap space free. Okay, so you free, which you, you got to sign like six more guys with and Leafs cap space currently, uh, according to Cap Friendly next year, project, projected cap hit in in uh, 2021 2022 is 68 mils. So you got 13 million to sign a backup goalie and currently one defenseman, and you're gonna need. Okay, let's just say Seth Jones comes back. So you're at eight five plus six eight. You're at seven seven. Let's just say seven seven. So you've got uh, four million to sign four forwards. Five four five. I just I don't see the math there. Well, you're taking the Marner cap hit off. Okay, of so that. six million to sign five guys. And the other thing is, is when you're working this out with Morgan Riley, if you move Riley now too, there's you're filling Riley's yes. spot with a better. If Riley defenseman. goes, yes. If Riley goes, I could see it happening. But Jones is but, saving you money anyway. Straight up for Marner, he's saving you money. He's saving you two million dollars a year. He is, and let's just get into that right now. So I mean, sorry, who would you expose? Would you expose the same people that I would in the expansion draft just to close that out? From everything I'm looking at and reading into for the Leafs, it's basically down to two guys who they'll have the choice of basically exposing and who are most likely to get picked. And it's Kerfoot and Hall. Because you do have to expose some forwards even if you protect seven. So they'll have to sign some before then to expose. You're forced to or you have to go with the eight. So it sounds like it's going to be Kerfoot or Justin Hall who they're going to have to expose from any of the things I'm reading. So when it comes down to that, you're probably exposing Kerfoot. Well, I think it's a no-brainer if you're exposing. Like, I mean, Kerfoot's at three and a half. Hall's at two. So you, you get rid of fifteen hundred, you know, one point five million. And Kerfoot's been okay, but that spot can be filled for sure, no doubt, right? Yeah, I think you should be able to find a third line center, no problem, and maybe get some some of these guys stepping up like i i mean i'm actually a big fan of pierre angle i know there's a lot of Leafs fans who aren't but i like the effort you see from this guy and the drive he has and yeah maybe he's not the most skilled but yeah i think he can fill that spot better so when i've kind of looked into it and read into everything i think kerfoot's probably the guys that crack and take the big thing is is the kraken also have to hit the cap floor 3.5 on kerfoot helps that it does i not I, I like that i think that's a that's a good move um, let's circle back to trading Mitch Marner. So Brandon Shanahan came out today basically and said in, in his interview that he 
has faith in the top four. They sign them for a reason. They think they can win around them. And I think that that is lip service because I don't think you can. And I, I really do. Th- I mean, two, th- one of th- two, one of two is getting traded this off season. And I don't think this is a hot take and it's, I, it's very possible. I'm wrong. I mean, there's a thousand billion different variables you could go with. One of two forwards is getting traded and it's going to be William Nylander or Mitch Marner. I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, Matthews rocket winner stud. He ain't going anywhere. John Tavares is signed until 24, 25. He's not going anywhere. Um, nor should he, frankly, at this point. And Matthew's definitely not. Um, so that leaves you two guys with big with big tickets. You got Nylander at six nine five, and you got uh, Marner at ten uh, at ten ten nine. So one of them's got to go. And I, I'm not saying like like Leafs Nation. Like don't don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying that his play warrants to trade him but who are you going to get the most back for and what do you need the most and you brought up Seth Jones and that's kind of where I was going is it's not necessarily that it's going to be him but you need a one number one defenseman we do not have a number one defenseman we don't we have a bunch of two three not even we have a bunch of three four defensemen pretty obvious that that's not going to cut it and in the, it's not about the regular season. It's great to have 80, 90 points, 95 points. You're setting Matthews up for all these goals. There's guys who can get assists, man. There's guys who can score, who are getting paid less. Jason Spezza had an unbelievable year at 700,000. He had 30 points. 30 points. He had half the amount of po- pretty much half the amount of points that Marner did for a tenth of the price. Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to run Jason Spezza out there too much five on five. It's, no, all the underlying numbers are bad. No, I want to I touch that. on what we heard from Shanahan today. Is it not just literally the definition of insanity? Trying yes. the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yes. You have, I know we're talking about the big four, but it's the big five, really. You, I think you can throw Morgan Riley into that mix. You've had the five, same five core guys here who just can't get it done. And if you're going to keep running with those five, that's literally the definition of insanity. It's ridiculous. You can't do it. It's you cannot do it. And and this is kind of the other thing is is that the vibe that I'm getting is is that Dubis isn't going anywhere. Keith's not going anywhere. And this is what I thought. And people were asking me about this. They said, "Is is Keith gone? Is Dubis gone?" And I said, "Okay, if Keith is gone, Dubis has to be gone because Dubis has already fired a coach. You don't get multiple bullets in that chamber, man. You get one shot at it." Like if it's not your guy, they say do what you're gonna do. You take out, you fire your your the guy that's not your guy. You bring in the guy. So you ride and die with that man. And Brandon Shanahan brought in Dubis. Like that's his guy. It's a trickle down effect. The only way that Dubis is gone is if Shanahan's gone. The only way Keith's gone is if Dubis is gone. It's one, two, three. It's all together. I don't think either of the I don't think any of them should go. I'm I'm happy. I was fine with what they built this year. I didn't have a problem with that. But it didn't work. And you can't, and you're right, you cannot keep doing the same thing. It is the definition of insanity. You can't keep doing the same thing. Is it uncomfortable to move a guy like Mitch Marner? Yes. Is it fun? No. Do I have his jersey hanging up in my bar? Yes, I do. 
but you sometimes have to make decisions that are uncomfortable decisions to better your team and fill needs that you need to fill. And it might not be Marner. And I'd be fine with that. If it was him going, I'd be fine with that. If it was, if it wasn't him going, I'd also be fine. If Neilander was gone, I'd be like, I'd be fine with it. Unless it's Matthews and Tavares, I'm I'm good. Like, do what you gotta do. I don't care. I don't have loyalty to players. I'm not a I'm not a Mitch Marner fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. If the Toronto Maple Leafs succeed, I don't care if it's seriously Doug Ford could be out there skating around with a stick and like eating donuts, like shut. Like, honestly, he'd be a lockdown defenseman. Oh, that's pretty good. Come on. Give me it. No, no? I'm not giving it to you. I'm Come on. It's Lock depre- down. It's already depressing enough in Ontario with the lockdown. <laughs> we don't need to add to it. Come on. Anyway, lockdown defense. But you get what I mean though. It's just like, I, all I care about is a team success. As a fan, that's all you can hope for. You just you have to change up this core. When they lost to Washington, you're like, okay, they're all super young. You maybe would have liked yep. to win that series. When they lost the first time to Boston, you're like, okay, they're still young. They're learning. They're going to get over the hump. Then they lost the next year to Boston, and you're like, okay, starting to run out of excuses, but this Boston team is really good. They have their number. Then you lose to Columbus, and you're like, okay, I, don't, I, I actually don't know anymore. Who is Elvis Merzlikens? And now you lose this year. There's just no more excuses. Something has to change. And I don't know what it is. And like, you just look at it to me. I don't know how you're not looking at Dubas and Keith. Keith got heavily outcoached this playoff series, heavily outcoached. Yep. The, the way they were able to use their defensemen to shut down Toronto and everything Montreal did, he was heavily outcoached. And I was not even happy with Ducharme before the series, but he was the better coach this series. I just, I don't know how you don't look at, you have to look at everything here. At a certain point, you yeah. have to. And I just kind of, I don't want to compare it because Marner's a much better player than I'm going to compare this Habs kind of trade tree to. But the Habs had Alex Galchenyuk, who they drafted third overall. 30 goal scorer, super young. They didn't think he would fit the playoff mold. So they traded him for Max Domi. Max Domi has 70 plus points for Montreal, has some issues. So you know what? Montreal's like, okay, we need to move on from him too. So they get Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson is a playoff type guy. The guy hits, shoots. He scored the first goal of the series. I would have liked to see him score more. But they made the tough decisions there of going from a third overall draft pick who scored 30 goals for them before he was 21 to Josh Anderson, who's not putting up the same numbers, but he's just tough to play against. When it gets the games get tight and he's tough to play against, in a seven-game series, you do not want to play against Josh Anderson. No. And I mean, I don't think they're going to go that extent, but it's just sometimes you have to make the tough trades with skilled guys to make your team better. And you I'm might take saying, a step back, by the I'm way. I'm not saying they're going to be more skilled, but they're going to be a better team because of it. And that's really what it comes down to. I just looked at this Montreal team and you just look from top to bottom. They're a team that's built for the playoffs. They're not built for a long regular season that's high scoring in the North Division. They're not. And it was proven over the season. But for a seven-game series, when it gets tighter, they're built for that. And the Leafs are going to have to make some of these tough decisions because the regular season doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't. There's nope. they can, Like you said, they can win the President's Trophy, run away with it. does not matter. Hockey, there's ask, a lot ask, of... Ask, ask Tampa how that worked out. Now, I know that they won the Cup the year after, but they won the President's Trophy and got swept in the first round. Like, the regular season accolades mean absolutely nothing. There's too much parity in the NHL that at the end of the day, you just have to get in. And if you're built for the playoffs, that's what you need to do. And 
this core four or five, depending on how you want to look at it, isn't built for the playoffs, and it's just proven. And I'm sorry, they're skilled players. They're some of the top ten regular season players in the NHL. But when it gets tough, they're not there. And ask Edmonton how that worked out. Exactly. You need not a sh- well. You need a shakeup at that point. You just do. Well- well, and, and, and going back to what you said about Keith, like I can give Keith a pass on getting out coach because it's his second season, right? Second got, full season. He got out coached by a guy who's had to what less than half a season though. No, he got out coached by Bergevin calling down from the box. And if you think it's Dushan, you're out of your mind. I swear, uh, Bergevin had a, had a walkie talkie and was just walkie talking down to Ducharme. That's serious. I mean, come on. You're telling me Ducharme is the one who earlier in the series did the goal interference call. That was Ducharme. No, for, for sure. It was Bergevin who made that goalie interference right. call. So I, so, and it, it was pretty obvious and everybody talked about it after four games that it was Bergevin who was doing the coaching decisions and everybody questioned it. I don't know what happened in the last three games. I don't know if he stepped back or if he actually is a, a, a evil genius or whatever he is. Um, but yeah, you got to coach. And if you're going to give the slack to the players, then there has to be some slack to a young coach. There has to be. Because you can also be, I mean, I, let me ask you this question. What, if you were Sheldon Keefe, what would you have done different? At some point, I think you had to try and split Marner and Matthews up that Dano Gallagher line was shutting them down. What else did you have to lose? Right. They but who are you putting Marner with then? I don't know. Do you throw Nylander and Marner? Do you mix them up? Do you do something? You had to try something. But this is where missing Tavares, and we haven't talked about this, but missing Tavares hurt them. My only Did argument you, there is their second line was their best line. Galchenia, Kerfoot, Nylander was their best line. I understand that, but that would have been their third line. Like the, 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 like this is what I'm saying is is that if you if Tavares would have played, and again, I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying from a, from Keefe's perspective, as soon as John Tavares goes out and your number two center, your one B center goes out, you're like shit. What do I do? So you think Nylander and Galchenyuk could have do, done much better with Tavares as their center? I think that Marner, Nylander, and Tavares could have done better. Yes, if you're saying mix up Matthews and Marner, absolutely. But they were against mixing him up completely. So they, if I don't know why but Tavares I, but I would have made a difference there. No, because I don't think that – I think if you take Marner – I mean, Matthews and Marner proved all year that they can play together. But I think if you take Marner off of Matthews' line, you put him with people who frankly don't score – Nylander didn't really score that much, but he was, but he he got in a mesh there. All I'm saying is, is that if you take Marner and put him with Tavares, you have two guys who have played together before, have had success there, and you still have Hyman and Matthews on line one, right? Like, like you have the ability to do that. I think, but like, I just don't understand. Like, if if with Tavares out, you put Marner on line two. I don't know what that does. Like, who do you move up to line one then? It just splits it up, so Deneau has to make a choice. He's not always out there against both of them. Yeah, but, but, Matthews can't drive a, but Matthews can't drive a line. Then you, I, have, and, you have huge issues if you're paying multiple guys over $10 million and they can't drive a line. Yeah, but there's multiple guys in the NHL who are like that. Ovi can't drive a line. Ovi has not been able to drive a line for his how whole much, career. How much does Ovi make? Well, he signed his contract cam in like 2005. It was like 15 years like that gets a terrible. You can't use that example because if he was under the current contract restrictions, he would be making twelve million dollars a year. 
And what Ovi's played with multiple wingers over his career, multiple centers over his career. Why don't you think he can drive a line? He plays with Backstrom all the time. He has not played a regular season with Backstrom in the last three years. Regularly. Playoffs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Playoffs. They don't. They play power play together. His centerman's Kuznetsov the majority of the time. Okay, fine. Well, then Kuznetsov. Who like? I, I'm just. I'm just curious of like where. How often from the eye test? You can look at analytics all you want. How often eye test have you seen Ovi go end to end in his current career? Because I'm not talking like in his later career. Because I'm not talking about like 2007 Ovi. Yeah, but we're not talking about Ovi at mid 30s. We're talking about like or Marner and Matthews at mid 30s. How old are they? We've gone That's over. Fair it. point. Fair point. I'll so give you then, that. Then, then we're just going back to Dubis. If that's the issue and these guys can't drive their own line, then you got to move on from Dubis. If he's going to sign these guys to these contracts and they can't drive their lines, he can't find the right pieces to go around. But he didn't them, have a choice. You got to move really, on. He really didn't have a choice, and that's the other thing that kills me. Is like people like Lamorella would have never signed these guys. Yeah, he would have. Because I tell you what, if you let Marner get offer sheeted on an RFA, Lamorella would have been gone, fired immediately. And you would take nobody's going to offer sheet that nobody's giving up three first rounders. If somebody's going to give up three first rounders, who's has that amount of cap available. You'd let them was do it. Marner not offer sheeted. Was there not discussion? There, there was definitely, there was like, discussion of it, but there was a lot was of like, smoke. There was a, a lot cup, of smoke. The teams who could do it. were not going to be very good. And you're taking their next three first round picks. You actually almost want that. Especially now, looking at it, when Toronto wasn't that isn't that close to winning the cup right this second, you can't say. I don't know. I mean, I think we're going in a bit of a circle here, but it's 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 just one of those things when you have a team that's as polarizing as they are. It's it's just wild, man. I don't know. It's going to be an interesting summer, though. Like regardless, it's uh, there. I mean, who knows? Maybe the Habs can go on a run. I'm I'm caught in a weird place about the Habs because I said Winnipeg sucked. And I didn't just say that out of spite. I firmly believe that I, I just do not think that Winnipeg is that good fundamentally. So I hope the Habs win that series. But I also hope they lose that series because I don't like the Habs. I hate the Habs. But I also don't want to be wrong. It sucks. Yeah, so let's move on. I mean, we'll have lots of Leafs talk in the summer. Let's talk about this series a little bit. I think we learned in the first round in this North, the two hardest teams to play against won their series. Montreal and Winnipeg were way harder teams to play against. They didn't have the most skill, clearly. The top four players, arguably, in the division were on the other two teams. But Montreal and Winnipeg were way harder to play against. And that seemed to get it done in the playoffs so far. I mean, Hallibach played unreal. It's crazy looking at the stats and thinking about how good Campbell and uh, Price played. So Camp. Campbell and Price were about 3.9 goals against average saved or whatever the statistic is for that, whatever they call it. Hellebuck in four games was 13.3. It's not even comparable how good he was in that first round versus the Oilers. I mean, so far through game one here, he doesn't look like he's quite the same Hellebuck, but it's just one of those things where these two teams were tougher to play. I think Montreal is going to pull this one out. I think they're the better team. I think they're built better for the playoffs. Their scoring, does, Winnipeg's top end scoring, does scare me a bit. But I think Montreal is going to take it in six or seven. And I mean, it should be a good series, though. The issue is both teams coming out of this series are going to be banged up. What I was going to say was Winnipeg and Montreal were both one of what the top five hitting teams 
in the NHL, were they not? Yeah, I believe so. So yeah, that works really, really well for playoffs, does it not? Like seriously, um, they, you know, if 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 you're banging bodies all game long and grinding it out, yeah, like you're like especially against a, a skill team like the Leafs who are not really built for that kind of stuff, or Edmonton who are not built for that stuff. Then yeah, it's pretty. I mean, obviously Winnipeg had more success against McDavid and Drysaddle, which, by the way, not not surprising. And that Edmonton was not good because we talked about this all year long. That Edmonton's got two guys. That's it. They got two guys. They got Darnell Nurse, who's unreal. So they got three guys, and that's and you don't have enough depth there. Um, Winnipeg has really really good front end scoring. Ehlers is good. Kyle Connors is good. Um, Shifley is really good. Halibuck's great in the back end. They feel like a Toronto Maple Leafs 2.0. I don't think they're as good as the Leafs. They're really excellent in transition. I think absolutely the Habs can do the exact same thing that they did to the Leafs against Winnipeg. The only difference is, is that Winnipeg is going to be more physical. That's it. That's that's the only that's the only difference in this series. So if that evens out and the Habs can get forced into turnovers, then I could see them having a problem. But frankly, I have I have Habs in. I have had it's such a clear. I mean, it's again, I have Habs in six in this one. I think Winnipeg, I think Hellebuck's good enough where he could steal a game. The Habs are bad enough where they can give up a game, but I think they get it done. The biggest thing that, uh, the biggest difference between Winnipeg and Toronto is Toronto is actually much improved defensively. They don't give up a ton of chances. Winnipeg was worse than Vancouver, Calgary, and Ottawa. They give up the most high danger and like scoring chances in the division. They were averaging almost 14 a game. And I actually like Montreal's guys to capitalize on that. I know Halibut can stand on his hat. He's a heck of a goalie. Oh, yeah. But I'm actually starting to feel pretty confident about guys like Kakaniemi scoring in playoffs, guys like Suzuki. Caulfield was snake bitten in the first round. I don't know how he didn't end up getting one. He hit six posts. So He if- passed it because he, he's a selfish prick and passed it on a 2 on 0. Who the fuck does that? What's wrong with this dude? But if Montreal can get 13, 14 chances a game and it's going to be guys like Suzuki, Kakaniemi, Caulfield, I feel pretty good about it. As we've seen, Kakaniemi and Suzuki both have scored tonight. And, I mean, just to add to it, you like we talk about Toronto's youngish guys not showing up. Man, Montreal's young guys are just showing up. Like, Kakaniemi's now eight goals before his 21st birthday in the playoffs like that's just awesome to see Caulfield looked dangerous every time he's played and Suzuki's just a stud now like to see that kind of gameplay from our young guys not only is that exciting this year especially this round well I mean once if they can get through this round I'm I don't know if anybody can beat Colorado at the moment but I'm just it feels awesome because there's exciting moments from these guys in playoffs regular season and they're just going to get better they're under 21 and yeah, I just I think Montreal is going to be the better team here, and I think they're going to capitalize. But I mean, Hellebuck's the big, the big question mark here. We've no goaltending can steal series or at least make it really interesting. Um, the Habs should win this series. The second best team in the division. We, we said this. This is this is not new. This is not news. This this is how it should have been. Um, Sorry, who's first in the division then? Well, the Leafs were first in the division. I don't think that's – I mean, it is what it is. It, you know, they obviously, as we said, we, we don't need to talk about them anymore, but I, I think Leafs have second round, Leafs go on. But the fact the Leafs aren't there and the Habs are, I, I by, by, you know, de facto, the Habs should the Habs should move on. I just I, – I don't buy into this Winnipeg thing. But, let, but let's talk about Colorado briefly here. 
because you talked about it earlier in the year that they were a step above. And I haven't had the opportunity to watch many of their games. And more recently I have. And man, oh man, Nate Mack is a beast. I know like, so he's many a beast. Oh, so many people have always kind of laughed at me when I'm like, McDavid's number one, McKinnon's number two. And to me, it's no question. Like, just overall game style, everyone's like, oh, maybe Marner, maybe McDavid, or maybe Matthews, maybe Dreisaitl, maybe Kane. I'm like, no, McKinnon's the second best player in the NHL, in my opinion. And he is proving it time and time again now. This playoffs, he is just having a coming out party. <laughs> Add to just the craziest contract, the guy's getting paid $6.3 million. It's disgusting. This year and two more. And he's just doing things like that goal. Nobody was in 10 feet of him. Did anybody even come close to touching him that one goal? No. It's, nope. He's stupid. And he can play tough. He can play those corners. He can do everything. And, yeah, I mean, I thought this team, I hadn't watched them enough to think they were a step above everyone else. But you watch the way McKinnon's playing. You watch the way Kale McCarr is playing. That guy's going to end up with five, ten Norris trophies. Like, it's going to be the Nick Lidstrom where it's like, yeah, he's winning it every year. Like, this guy's just a stud. He is so good. This team is so deep. They're deep six on D. Grubauer is up for the Vesna this year. You got guys like McKinnon, Rantanen, Landis Cog. I mean, if Kadri can stay out of his suspension once he comes oh, back, yeah. he's a guy who's going to be tough to play against in the playoffs. I just, I don't know how anybody beats them. And everyone is, thinks is Grubauer Fed- that good, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. Is Grubauer that good? I, again, I, I, that's a serious question because I like, he's been in the league f- for a bit, and I'm like. Yeah, I like he was didn't think he was that good. In Washington's first when they won the cup, he actually won more of the games in the first round when Holpe wasn't playing well, and he was quite good. He's been quite good for Colorado. Their D's really good, but he has been really exceptional. I mean, he's up for the Vesna, so that's quite impressive. And yeah, I mean, I still think that he's a little question mark. I don't know if he's enough proven, but when you got a team like that, you don't need to be that good yeah, to be honest. True. Like that team is team's almost an all-star team it's like this is i kind of thought that you looked at their defense by the way like all of their guys are basically on elcs yeah it's and then you have Devontae there who's just a stud it's ridiculous like you look at it you got mccarr taze bowen byram uh samuel gerard i don't know if connor timmons is playing much but yeah they're all super young and they're just unreal and i got the nate mack jersey up in the bar and I like I ordered that before the playoffs started, like a long time ago, and I got it up there. I mean, I I liked the first time I ever saw Colorado play. I think I was like six years old, and I was always a Joe Sackick fan, always, always, always. He was he was just like 2002 um, Team Canada. Uh, I remember um, I was eight years old at the time. I was off to driving to a hockey game and just listening to the radio and hearing him score and uh, in the gold medal game. And man, like. It's just he was always a, 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 a favorite of mine, and um, I mean, Leafs will always be number one. Got my heart forever. I'm fine if you want to have a, a secondary team. Colorado's always had a soft spot for me. I know one of our listeners. He's you know he's got San Jose. Um, I don't think you can have a second favorite team in the East Division or like on the on the on the East side, Eastern Conference. But you want to have one on the West. Colorado's always had a soft spot for me, but it's convenient that uh that they're doing well now but that's somebody that's i i you can't help but root for them there's nobody on that team that you're like like a 
uh, Martian that you're like, yeah, I hate that guy. Um, Kadri? Well, he doesn't play <laughs> because he's always suspended. But yeah, no, so it doesn't matter. Same way with Colorado. Like I'm a massive Habs fan, and I was a goaltender, so I actually followed Patrick Wall Patrick over there. Yep, I followed him over there to Colorado. I remember the years with Sackick, Forsberg, Hayduk, Foot, Blake. Like it was just so fun to watch. So I cheered for Colorado for years. I've always paid attention to them. Always watched them, and they've always been my second favorite team, my West team. I know you don't say that, but. They always have been, and I've always had Colorado stuff, and they're just a fun team. So I know, like, even you kind of questioned me when I was taking – not super hot take, but when I was just banging the drum on Colorado being my Stanley Cup favorite before the playoffs. Like, I think yep. they're that good. And they <laughs> just – I'm waking had, up. Yeah, they're just proving my point. And I know I know a lot of people out east haven't seen them much. Trying to watch a 10 o'clock Colorado game, not that easy to do. No. Watching a lot of Nathan McKinnon, but, yeah, I mean – it's exciting though. It's like honestly, and and this is not. I mean, hey, like our second favorite teams are like, they match, so that's good because everything else we won't agree on, other than you know, every other sport pretty well. But um, they're gonna be exciting. I, I I'm really looking forward. I mean, the 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 Boston Islanders series has been unreal. Um, Carolina's toast. Yeah, that's. Can, can we acknowledge that? I mean, maybe we can't because the Leafs had a three-one lead, and that didn't matter. So who cares? Who who even knows anymore? Is any lead safe? Is a four-nothing lead safe? I have no idea. Tell me. Yeah, the worst part of that series is Carolina's been the better team through two games. Vasilevsky has proven why he's been talked about as the best goalie in the league. Nedeljkovic let in a super soft goal the first game, and he let in two goals on like fifteen shots the second game. But no, you're not winning for the next five against Tampa. Sorry, no. Carolina. You've been the better team so far this series. Tampa's goalie has been phenomenal, but you're not beating that Tampa team four and five. So to me, that series is over. The Isles Boston series is close. I mean, I'm still going to, I mean, nobody likes Boston. Nobody likes Boston. Fuck Boston. And these Isles teams, this Isles team is kind of fun. I might hate Boston more than I hate the Habs. I know that sounds ridiculous. Like as a Leafs fan, like you should always hate the Habs, but yeah, like the Habs is a terrible rivalry and I dislike them on every single level, but like nothing enrages me more than a Boston Jersey. I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're, it's their fans. I don't know what it is, but Boston just pisses me off. Like no tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm cheering for the aisles there. And that series, I, th- I think that series is going seven and it'll ultimately come down to goaltending and the aisles are actually getting good goaltending for both of their goalies right now. And I just actually like the Isles have a lot of guys I like to cheer for. Matt Barzell, Jordan Everly's always been a favorite since the 2007 World Junior goal game. So, yeah, L- that's Lemorello, you know, the whole nine yards. So, I see that that series will be exciting. That should go seven. This Colorado Vegas series will turn into more of a series. I, there's Colorado's not sweeping them, they're not beating them seven one. Like we kind of mentioned, huge letdown game coming off game seven. Colorado had tons of rest, they're super good. Vegas with Leonard and Nett almost mailed it in. So that series, Vegas is a much better team than that. You know what's you know what's wild is that Colorado has to play Vegas, which is arguably the second best team in in the league. Maybe not quite, but they're definitely the second best in in the Western side. And then they have to cross over and play somebody from the North, which is, I mean, probably won't end up very well, frankly no matter who it is. And then they have to go and play somebody else. Like the reseed it like, man, it, I, <laughs> the path for Colorado might be easier than anybody in the league. 
I know. I'm actually like really scared that because the North Division is going to have to play Colorado, it's going to make it look really bad. All those takes that the North sucks. If Montreal or Winnipeg get a match up against like the East, I think they could win. Then there's a but chance. Then there's a chance. Col- no. Tampa, even I'd give them a – I'd still – Tampa would probably beat them, but a, ch- a chance? Colorado, I'm like, yeah, sorry. I No, that series is going to be no. over in five or and six. I, I, and I do not want John Scott to be right. I mean, I, as I said before, I like John Scott as a person. I think his hockey takes are trash. But like, this, is, this, this doesn't count. It no, does, it's, like the, it's so hard to tell, and this is my argument, is I've argued all year, Colorado, Tampa, and Vegas are above everyone else. Then there's a whole bunch of teams in the middle. It just sucks that we're going to get one of those teams. I mean, it's going to be the final four. If the North Division's going to end up in the final four and face one of these teams. It's just sucks it can't be like the Isles or Boston, and it's going to have to be Colorado or maybe Vegas. I mean, yeah. It's, I mean, the reality with the Stanley Cup is you have to play the best team every time for the Stanley Cup. Always. The team that gets there deserves to be there. That's it. So if that's the path, that's the path. And sometimes the best team, like Colorado, falters. Who knows? Leafs did it. So other teams I'm sure can as well. Um, We're running a little long here, Cam. It's pretty good in terms of NHL talk, I think. I mean, we've got a lot of Leafs talk on there, which is not surprising. I wanted to mention two things before we sign off. Not hockey related because I, I'm exhausted. I'm seriously exhausted from from talking about the Leafs. I can't wait to not do it for another couple, like probably a month. I don't know when the next time's going to be, but I need a break um, unless there's a big signing or whatever happens. Um, two things. Number one, did you catch any clips of Damian Lillard last night going bananas and still losing? Yeah, I kind of saw this stuff on Twitter, but I didn't see any highlights. But oh yeah. my gosh, this Dame guy Lillard could not miss. Else. Yeah, he's something else when he gets hot. And like, it's always in the playoffs. Like Dame Lillard is like under the radar all season long. Like Portland's like whatever. Like Dame Lillard, yeah, yeah. And then in the playoffs, he just like he's in. The, let's just put it this way: in the season, he's Damian Lillard. In the playoffs, he's Dame Lillard. And, like, NBA Twitter was exploding last night. Goes to double OT. Portland doesn't win the game. The Nuggets take it. Um, but Damian Lillard made, like, he had, like over 50 points. He was his, – his shooting percentage was ridiculous. He was nailing threes from spots on, like, that you shouldn't – and, like, positions you shouldn't hit threes from. It's just one of those sports. And this is why, like, the NBA is amazing because if a guy gets hot and gets his rhythm, it doesn't matter. Like hockey, you can at least check him into the boards. You can do this. You can do that. You know, baseball, you can pitch around a guy if he's hot. Um, you know, NFL, like if you got a receiver that's really, really hot, you double him. Like, and and you can do that, and you can double in the NBA. But if I mean, these guys can hit shots from anywhere. And Damian Lillard last night, my God, this guy was just draining him left, right, and center. Yeah, I mean you. You start to notice a guy's really good when on Twitter they're not even saying name. It's just Dame. Nobody's Dame. Saying, yeah, so it's just Dame when it comes to playoff time. Everybody knows who – every single person knows who you're talking about. Um, can we also acknowledge that the Lakers are down 3-2 to the Suns? I know the Suns are good, but this Lakers team, yeah. end of the road. I hope so. I've had my hot takes on LeBron already this year, so I wouldn't mind seeing him lose. We'll leave that uh, as it is because, yes, that would be great. Last thing, Cam, unless you got more. 
Bob Baffert suspended for two years um, where the uh, Kentucky, Kentucky Derby was run. Uh, the name is slipping me right now. I had it up. Anyway, he was banned two years for uh, for basically doping his horses from what they had uh, from what the that that specific track had uh, had deemed that he had committed an offense. But he's banned for uh, sorry, yeah, Churchill Downs. He's he's suspended for two years, which means that uh, so he's not suspended from other. Uh, track so he can still run two legs of the triple crown but cannot run a Churchill Downs which means that he won't get a triple crown for two years oh I mean that's unfortunate considering his horse just had some what tainted hay from uh, somebody pissing on it somebody pissing in the hay yeah I mean honestly they're like well he's got a track he's got a history of it I'm kind of sad because seriously I love when guys like Barry Bonds man like I love when guys have like great stories, great sports stories, and then it gets tainted with, with uh, PEDs. Seriously, it's just the worst. No, it is for sure. It kind of sucks. You had Lance Armstrong, all of this stuff. It's like some of these, though. Like you know, he's not the only person doing this in horse no training. No chance. Like Major League Baseball, you knew that Barry Bonds wasn't the only one doing it. Lance Armstrong was not the only one doing it. Lance Armstrong was definitely not the only one doing it. Like That's where, by, when it no. comes to this stuff, it's like. You should almost just let them do it. I know that's I like agree. a weird take. It's just if it's available, let them do it because at least everyone's on the same playing field. You don't have some guys paying more money to try and hide it and all that. If everyone's just doing it all, you're like, okay, well, everything's even now. So Wouldn't the PED Olympics be amazing? Like guys are just chucking hammers like 300 meters across the field. Like it'd be unreal. I mean, it's not good for your health. I mean, that's what the reason why they don't do it is because it's it's harmful for athletes. It's, it's harmful for um, you know, the horses and things like that, but it would be super entertaining. Like so who would, who would not like baseball where guys are jacking like 600 yard home run or 600 feet home runs. That'd be so entertaining. Well, that's my only argument. Like, yeah, I get it. It's not humane to do it to the horses. It's not great for your health. The life expectancy for the people is going to be down. It's happening anyways. Like if you're telling me it's not happening anyways, like you're crazy. It's happening anyways. So just kind of like, Allow it and at least make the playing field level, in my opinion. Well, and they'll never do that. But I just think that the PED Olympics would just be hilarious. I, I don't know. That, maybe that's just me. Or like, you know, like they race greyhounds. Like just give them a little bit of cocaine before every game and just let them just fucking book it. Like why not? Right? Like just let them go. So anything else you got before we sign off? As I said, I'm tired. I, I, I've out. I've, I've talked myself out. I, I, I my two minute or three minute video that I posted after Leafs loss was just not enough. I feel like I've got it all out. Got any more Habs chirps, anything else that we can just close this chapter and move on. And by close this chapter, I mean, I know this is going to haunt me forever, but um, for now, for the podcast, what do you got? Anything you got left? No, that's all. I mean, I could sit here and uh, just dump on the Leafs for a while, but it's not even fun with the way Leafs fans are feeling. So I'll just end it with a go Habs go and Ole, 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 ole. Flip cup. All right. Well, you heard it from the Turf King himself. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening to my rants, our discussion. It's a little all over the place, but hey, there's no way to organize how you feel. 
and it is what it is. Um, as always, you can always find us on Twitter at over six sports and share our podcast with your friends and family. If you want to come on the show at some point, send us a line. We have the, the lines open. I know that everybody was so choked up. They didn't even want to come on. That's fine. I understand it. We'll get you on another time. No problem with that at all. It's going to be an exciting week next week. It's always an exciting week on the Over 6 Sports Podcast. I'm Zach the Bandit Burke. And with me, the Turf King. Oh, Cameron Charlton. The Habs King. Cameron Charlton. Thank you for listening to Over 6 Sports. And we'll talk to you next week.